boys and girls, and welcome back to this another episode of the Listen Boys and Girls podcast with me, Donna Gales. I am your teacher's aide through this classroom of life, and it is a joy to have you on this journey. Whether you're connecting for the first time or returning, I thank you. Your decision to be here is an opportunity to learn more, to share more, and to actually be more. I am thankful for you because we know that the journey is much better when you are able to walk with someone that you can share experiences with. While I am not a mental health professional, I do advocate for mental wellness and I do encourage anyone who has not yet had the benefit of connecting with someone that they can trust and share with to do so because it does allow for us to learn not only more about ourselves, but more about how we interact with others and it can be such an enriching experience for us all. I'm excited. I know most people get really, really um, excited about things that bring them joy and passion. And I am equally excited this month because it is not only National Family Caregivers Month, but it is also National Hospice and Palliative Care Month. Those of you who know me personally or have been journeying with us for any amount of time know that I am a senior client relations executive for a nonprofit hospice agency. I've been in the arena of advanced illness care for nearly 15 years and it is my life's work. I love it. And so when I think of this month, I think of all the wonderful opportunities I have to share information about advanced illness and caregiving and all of the things that many of us go through that we don't even recognize are um, areas that other people are going through as well. So I wanted to take this opportunity to talk not only about family caregiving, but also to bring awareness to another important topic this month. It's also Alzheimer's Awareness Month. And I wanted to talk about that today. In fact, it was something that I wanted to share last week, but we didn't have an opportunity. But here I am today with this mindset because I am assisting families almost daily who are who are really going through the process of understanding uh, dementia, understanding the Alzheimer's disease and related disorders, because oftentimes we have misunderstood those things and have a concept in our minds that doesn't allow for us to really embrace what may be happening. And for those who are caregivers, I wanted to take this opportunity to provide more information and to give you some support, I know that it can be very difficult in the process of assisting someone with cognitive uh, decline and, and ultimately functional decline. And so many people may not realize that Alzheimer's disease is a terminal illness because there's no cure. And many times people don't relate them together as, um, as a terminal illness. There are many illnesses that people don't perceive as terminal because of what they think that means. And so simply put, it's a disease that has no cure. And so with that, <clears throat> there are many manifestations of 
the disease process. And just because a person is diagnosed with the disease doesn't mean it's always going to play out the same way that it has played out in other people. So that's one of the things that I have found in assisting families that is really difficult to know someone who's had dementia or Alzheimer's disease and then to experience it with a loved one and see it go totally different. It can be very confusing, upsetting and things of that nature. And we just want to always make sure, especially those who are professionals in end of life and advanced illness care, our goal is to always ensure comfort for not just the person who is actually processing the disease, but those who care for that person as well, because it is something that impacts everyone. And so sometimes what I get is, how do you know if a person is having um, problems or they might have dementia or they may have Alzheimer's disease? There are some warning signs and I don't want to be uh, very lengthy in this process because I want you all to have information to start investigating and looking into things that may be of a concern for you. So some of the warning signs that uh, people may start to recognize is confusion about time and place. Um, sometimes a person may just be forgetful and, and I do want to note that sometimes there are some of these symptoms that are also related to depression and because they are so closely related in their, you know, in their display, you want to be careful and cognizant of what your loved one is dealing with overall. And it's never too early to start asking questions. It's never too early to start investigating. It's never too early to see what you can do to help. So um, confusion about time and place is one that I have understood many families start to recognize first. Um, there's also difficulty judging situations. Um, a lot of our elders really want to hold fast to their independence, especially driving. And this is an area that many families have discussed with me as being a telltale sign um, that they look back on and say, well, you know, yeah, you know, they would, they, they started, you know, leaving the home and not really remembering how to get back. Or they would say they're going to the store and end up in a whole nother town, you know, here in our area, the district and Virginia and Maryland are very closely related and and you I mean a person with no cognitive uh, decline can <laughs> get turned around and, and start out in Maryland and end up in Virginia or DC so that isn't um, I, I can say myself I've done that I'm not good with directions <laughs> but um, without without minimizing it I do want to make sure that people uh, know that that can be an indication I'm just thinking about things that I have had conversations with families who have on the end of the disease process looking back uh shared light shed light on different things that they noticed that they kind of brushed off as just being old age another thing is trouble finding the right words a lot of times um older adults may be forgetful yes but sometimes you can have a conversation with someone and you can really see them searching for the word and it may be a word that's very common and maybe something that they've said before, have been used to saying, there's no reason that they wouldn't know how to put the thought together. But you can sometimes see that they're having noticeable difficulty finding 
the right words. And I had one lady tell me of her mom. She said it, it looked as if she was looking into the air, like the words were in front of her, like she could visibly see them. And she was trying to pick the right words. And I rem I won't forget that conversation that I had with that daughter because you know, it brought tears to her eyes as she was recalling it and recalling some of the things that she started to notice that she kind of brushed off and wish she had paid more attention to. Um, also, memory loss, especially of recent events, places um, that they visited, names of people that were met. Now, again, I have to say I meet lots and lots and lots of people and I'm typically pretty good with uh, names and faces, but I can say I have drawn a blank <laughs> on more than one occasion um and so it may not be a cause for entire alarm but if you start to notice that your loved one really is having difficulty just recalling things that you wouldn't normally expect them to forget um also there's a lot of changes in the mood and personality one of the major complaints that i have gotten from families is that when they had a loved one starting to experience the complications of the disease process and being aware that they had like an Alzheimer's disease process happening is that they would be aggressive or that they would be accusatory, that they would think someone was stealing from them or have um, paranoia. That's something very common that I've heard with a lot of families. And so I definitely uh, wanted to share those things for those who may be questioning, you know, uh, I wonder if my, my family member has a, a dementia or an Alzheimer's disease, you know, so I wanted to share those things. Also, um, I was certified with the Rosalind Carter Institute as a dealing with dementia trainer. And so it was always my pleasure to connect with families and help them have tips, different tips on caring for someone with Alzheimer's or having um, interaction with someone with dementia. There's, I mean, every day there are new things and new ways of connecting. And I wanted to make sure that I shared some relative, I'm sorry, some relevant information for those who may be assisting a loved one who has um, dementia or Alzheimer's process. And so um, there's lots of things that we can do to support and to, make sure that our loved ones are getting um, engaged positively and supported in ways that matter to them. Because while they may not always have a clear cognitive uh, picture, people always know how they feel. Um, they may not be able to articulate it. They may not be able to um, tell you exactly what's going on with them but people feel very deeply and those who are losing um, different functionality do often have heightened experience in other areas and so what I've known and seen especially working with those who have decline and who are on the memory care units you know there are times where you're able to connect with that person in a way that you see the light has come on. You see that they are there with you. And sometimes it's not that way, but those are beautiful treasured moments when you can be with someone who is um, dealing or suffering with the Alzheimer's disease to recognize that they're there with you. And in those times, you know, you have to honor that space and cherish those moments, you know, um, for caregivers, it can be very frustrating because 
when you are sharing something with someone and they, it seems as if you're continually repeating yourself or that you know you told them something and now they don't remember those are natural things but it can be very naturally frustrating for a person who is assisting or supporting someone with this type of functional decline so a couple of points i want to leave with you um, is that we have to be accepting especially when you're dealing with the um, behavioral aspects of someone with cognitive and functional um, decline you you have to be able to accept that you're not in control of the situation um, a lot of family members have expressed guilt for being angry with with their loved one because they don't know how to help or they feel helpless in the ways that they have extended themselves and that can be a very difficult and challenging thing but if we can remember that we're not in control of the actual situation we can only control how we react to it and that's in any situation whether you're dealing with a person with uh, alzheimer's disease or just going through life in general just remembering we can only control how we react to scenarios and situations also we have to really ask ourselves and center ourselves and allow ourselves patience you know um one thing from the Rosalind Carter Institute um, that I learned that was so helpful and I've shared with many, many families over the years is you have to, you have to acknowledge that, that your loved one is experiencing these things as well. The confusion, the upset, they are feeling these things as well. So you have to remember to be patient. Your loved one is as confused or more than you are, you know. A lot of times the family members are, are dealing with their work schedules, um, handling the responsibilities of being a, a, a family, a mother, a father, you know, having children to take care of and then also having an adult um, loved one that might be a parent or grandparent that they are seemingly having to re-raise again that I've heard that from family members like it's like I have you know x amount of children and then they include their loved one who's dealing with a cognitive decline as almost being like another child that they have to be responsible for and it can be overwhelming so we have to always remember the grace in the process not just for the loved one but for ourselves as well because caregiving in and of itself can be overwhelming. Caregiving in and of itself can um, take a lot of energy and and it can cause you to be drained if you're not really restoring those places in ways that are relevant and having patience, not just with your loved one, but with yourself as well. It's also really important to keep a positive outlook, especially when you know that everybody's trying to do their best. Even in our best attempts, we don't always get it right. I, my family, other families, people that I've talked to in great detail, we don't get it right all of the time. And we have to understand that none of us are perfect and we're all moving through life, learning as we go along. And we sometimes get it wrong. And from that, we have to apologize. And from that, we have to learn. And from that, we have to modify. But keeping a positive outcome, um, at the forefront of your of your mind will help because if you want a positive outcome you have to have positive steps moving toward that you know um 
A lot of times caregivers are in a role that they didn't ask for, that they don't have training for, but they're doing the best that they can. So you wanna make sure that as we move through life, not just dealing with a loved one with an illness, but as we move through life entirely, to just try to have the mindset that the person you're experiencing is doing the best that they can with the information that they have and recognizing we don't all have the same information. So if we can be able to extend and receive grace, we would do so much better. Uh, another thing which I am totally guilty of is getting enough rest, getting sleep. I don't sleep enough. I'm slapping myself on the hand now. I was able to have a very relaxing weekend, which I thank God for. But we have to be more conscious of the benefit of sleep because our, you know, our in-rim sleep, which is the non-rapid eye movement sleep, the, the most restorative sleep <laughs> is the time that we often neglect. Um, you know, according to sleep.org, it comes in earlier parts of the evening. You know, I am a woman of a certain age, <laughs> that age is 48, and sometimes I could easily go to bed at six o'clock and be asleep all night. And sometimes that's exactly what my body needs, but we're so wired to do so much and to get so much done and to pack everything into every moment of the day. And we have to really stop that. You know, especially if we're handling the life of another person, whether that be children or um, an adult loved one that needs our assistance, whatever. Even if you are the adult that you're handling, we have to get the rest that we need. It is no accident that rest is the root word of restoration. So we need that. And going to bed between 8 and 10 will help make us more alert, restored, and refreshed. I am often in the bed long after 10 p.m. So I am making a note to myself, <laughs> taking the advisement from sleep.org that I am missing out on some restoration and we all need it. Um, you know, of course, we, we have to have it. And I have a friend that is the most evergreen thumb. And <laughs> I think about, you know, all of the things that he does to support his plants. And I saw a meme the other day that said, if we talk kindly to the plants and they respond, how much better would people do if we talk kindly to them as well? And so I think about people as plants sometimes, especially when you're, when you're in the realm of caregiving for a person who is not able to care for themselves in the ways that they would like. We have to remember that Dignity is definitely a part of a quality life experience. And people who are declining in functionality, whether that be cognitive or physical, they often feel shameful that they are not able to do the things that they wish that they could do or that they had been able to do before. And I think about that, even in terms of my own mom, you know, sometimes having seen her so strong, so able, so um, energetic and full of life and helping so many people, sometimes it's very hard to see her in need of help because it makes me feel defenseless and it's hard for me. So as a caregiver, one of many, because I, all of my brothers and sisters are involved in my mom's care, um, even though she does not have Alzheimer's or dementia, there are, there are things as a caregiver 
um, that she needs from us. And, you know, we have to be conscious always of who she is, who she has been, who she still wants to be and bring those things together and like a plant, water them in ways that are relevant that allow her to thrive and grow right where she is. That's con- that's definitely the constant message I want to w- want everyone to walk away with that if we, you know, and not in a dismissive uh, fashion, but if we remember to treat people as plants, to water them, to nurture them, to speak to them kindly, to offer them, um, all of the things that allow them to grow right where they are, we will be much better for it. Caregiving is often a thankless job. And when I say thankless, I mean that there's not always someone rallying around. There's not always someone patting you on the back. There's not always someone saying, hey, you did a good job or hey, your your contribution is meaningful. That, that doesn't always happen. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but it doesn't always happen. But when you're a caregiver, you have to always care. So I am saying to you, as we move toward the close of this conversation, I just wanted to give you some restorative tips as a caregiver, um, you know, and, and, and one focused on making sure that all of those in the caregiving process are nurtured and supported. Take time for you to restore you so that you can be the best you can be for your loved one that you're caring for, whether they have Alzheimer's disease, dementia, kidney failure, heart failure, whatever their disease process, it doesn't matter. If you are a caregiver, please, please, please remember to care for yourself as well because there is no way that you can continue to offer care to another person if you're not offering care first to yourself. And so I am thankful for every opportunity that I have to speak with anyone, to share information, to make sure that people are getting what they need. I want to make sure that people have opportunities to get understanding that they may not have had prior to our interaction. I know that caregiving is an exasperating um, process at times. And again, I know that people who are thrown into this process sometimes are very scared themselves because they don't know what to do. And that's okay. It's okay to not know. It's not okay to not try to find out. And so I wanted to use this platform, this realm of interaction for those that I know may be listening who might be going through a new caregiving process or even an old caregiving process to remind you in this month of National Family Caregivers Month, National Hospice and Palliative Care Month, also National Alzheimer's Awareness Month, that we have so many um, varying interactions coming at us. And as caregivers first, I want to encourage all of you to care for yourselves as much as you care for others, because without doing so, we're not able to continue the care for ourselves. And so with that, I just want to thank you all for your time and attention. I want to share with you, if you have the opportunity to check um, other podcasts, Aging Matters is on Apple Podcasts as well as um, I believe Spotify, if I'm not mistaken, I apologize. Aging Matters. I was featured with a um, w- with with a an interview about caregiving and palliative care and hospice and um, heart failure 
Um, for those of you who know, my mom currently has uh, congestive heart failure as well as end-stage renal disease. She doesn't mind me talking about these things. This is not a HIPAA violation. I've talked with her about sharing her story and she is okay with that. But at any rate, I was, I was able to have the wonderful pleasure of being interviewed um, by Aging Matters on a radio program that aired yesterday. It's available in other playback arenas on um, Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. And uh, Dr. Menderada and um, myself were able to have a wonderful conversation about heart failure and palliative care and the related findings of an American Heart Association study. And so it was a great time of sharing. And if you want more information or if you'd like to uh, hear that actual interview that aired yesterday on WERA, it's available on Facebook, on the Aging Matters uh, website. I'm sorry, yeah, Facebook page, <laughs> their website, as well as on Apple and Spotify podcast. So with that, my friends, my beautiful boys and girls, I just want to thank you. Thank you for being present. Thank you for moving forward on the journey as best you can, helping as many as you can, but just remember to help yourself as well. And as we prepare for next week, I'm going to have a beautiful guest. I'm not going to give it away today, but I'm going to have a beautiful guest who has a wonderful story about caregiving as we um, share the thankfulness, the thanks, the thanksgiving of caregiving, um, meaning that there's such reward, there's such, such powerful, um, changes in a person through caring for another. And so I hope that you'll join us next week as we continue to celebrate National Family Caregiver and National Hospice and Palliative Care Month, also honoring the, uh, National Alzheimer's Awareness Month as well. And as I always say, if you listen, boys and girls, it just might change your world. I promise you it's changing mine. Thank you for your time. And I look forward to talking again next week.